Welcome to the Startup Business Q&A podcast with Richard Moore. Welcome to Startup Business Q&A episode 187. This week is an AMA, Ask Me Anything. Uh, We often pick a topic each week. Uh, you vote on topics and then your questions come in. But this week we just thought, I just thought, let's do an AMA. And uh, we do one every so often, don't we? And um, you can ask any question at all about startup business. So um, we've been doing this for a long time, as I, I say, 187 weeks. So thank you, those of you who are joining right now. We are live on Instagram, Facebook, and of course, LinkedIn as well. Uh, it's been an amazing weekend. I hope you lot have all had a good one as well. Uh, really enjoyed being at Warwick University uh, on Saturday for Warwick Congress. Uh, so the likes of um, Aston Martin were there, um, Financial Times were there, City AM, which is a big um, a newspaper in the city, um, Visa, lots of other cool guys as well. And um, and I was doing um, a session on LinkedIn, so that was really good fun. Uh, so thank you very much, everyone who jumped in and joined. Uh, the, the workshop was really good fun and a lot of people are already posting more on there, and so it's interesting to see what comes out of it. Uh, today's session, on, which is an AMA, is like literally any question you want on business. So I've had a few already sent through Facebook yesterday. Thank you, everyone who's done that. Um, and uh, just a couple of announcements before we start, those who, as you're coming in, if you want to watch replays of this, you can do uh, from my website, you can access uh, any of the previous episodes and uh, the podcast directly through SoundCloud there. Uh, or go to iTunes or Spotify or any of the other places you normally listen to a podcast and you can just search, you know, Richard Moore, Startup Business Q&A and you'll find the, the podcast there. If you miss this, if you're, if you're uh, you know, unable to uh, catch it on um, Instagram, then there's the IGTV episode uploaded. And again, you can look at the previous episodes that way. And of course, always, I mean, I mean I'm being asked this a lot, so that's why I'm explaining it. Always on all the other platforms, um, the post will stay up. We don't delete the, the live stream after it's been on. So a couple of notices. Um, Thursday this week is Atlanta. OK, so over in Georgia in the US, Entrepreneur Business Live Atlanta. We had January off and kind of February. Right. Uh, so it's the first event of the year uh, to kick us off the following week. So next week we've got London. Uh, so on the on the fourth, we've got London. But um, all these events are free. Uh, the event next week is supporting the charity Funding Love, an amazing charity. OK, so uh, Heather Parody, who's hosting the event, um, has uh, put this together and the charity that will receive our donations this week, um, Funding Love. The way it works is that the donations go to work with families who have adopted children because a lot of a lot of focus is put into when, when it comes to adoption. It goes into um, uh, getting the, 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 the family together. So getting getting this uh, child adopted by a family and all the support and focus is on that moment. However, the support afterwards is very lacking. And so uh, the idea behind Funding Love is that it focuses on bonding the family thereafter. And uh, the founder um, who's going to be speaking at the event talked about how they'd gone through this themselves. And they actually use the donation. So their charity raises money to send families that have newly adopted children all to go to Disney World. Or Disneyland, whichever one it is, for Disney World. And the idea being that, of course, if they have a week in Disney World, it really helps bond this family together. So I'm so thrilled to be supporting that charity on Thursday. There are three ways you can be involved in the event. One, you can just go for free. That's it. 
Two, you can watch live uh, on the in the Entrepreneur Business Group over on Facebook. Uh, so just join in there, search for the group, and you'll see the live stream. It kicks off at uh, it will be it will actually be seven o'clock Atlanta time. So that's same as EST, I believe. Um, on Thursday, because we're pushing it back an hour in terms of the speakers, and you can watch uh, the live stream there with me. And the third way you can get involved, if you can't make it and you can't watch the live stream, you can still donate. You can go to uh, the Eventbrite. If you just go to therichardmore.com, you can actually grab a ticket and you can directly donate there. So thumbs up if that sounds good. I mean, I'm really pleased that we're we're entering. A, a, this is this is going to be the third year that we've been involved. So we started in 2018 back in in July, but I'm so pleased that these events are are driving money into charities and there's some really amazing ones we're working with. But one like Funding Love is really exciting. So I'm really pleased. You've got um, Randall Blizzard, Joe Pilger and uh, Joy McAdams will all be speaking at the event on, in Atlanta as well. So do join me watching the live stream or attend uh, if you can make it. So I'm going to shout out some people joining in. Rian Brutz, good to see you here from South Africa. Uh, Tina El Haj is watching as well from Melbourne. And the Tim Brown uh, watching from Drizzly UK, I presume, right here, like me. Um, so give us a wave if you're watching. Also let me know um, uh, where you're watching from. I think I got it right, you three. Um, and uh, if you're hashtag team live or if you're hashtag team replay, uh, make sure you stick that in the comments so I can see if you're watching. Hello, Christina Robinson. Christine Robinson over on Facebook as well. On LinkedIn, presumably we're live over here. I will check in a sec. The other notice is that later today, uh, there'll be a call video um, that I did with Judy Fox. That's going to be going live a bit later on today. Watch out for that later this evening, uh, UK time. I had a really good catch up with her last week. Uh, I had a really good reception uh, from the from the other videos we've been doing recently. So thank you very much, everyone who's catching those on LinkedIn. If you watch that, you'll see uh, Judy Fox and I. Uh, also coming later this week, probably on Wednesday, is a video with Pelpina Trip the superstar of smartphone um, uh, video production. And um, she and I met the second year in a row at VidCon on Friday. I must say, VidCon was not as good this year. Um, it was distinctly lacking in attendees for starters. It was kind of thin on the ground. And um, the talks weren't as, weren't as strong as they could be. Um, I, I don't think I'll mention any names, but, but one of the talks in particular was just a massive waste of time. We were all just sitting around whilst there were people fanboying and girling over a particular brand and there was no actual value there. So um, it's something to be said for going to an event and getting something from it. So there were good talks. I learned a lot from it. Uh, but at the same time, I'm pleased that there was networking too and I could meet new people because otherwise it wouldn't have really got me much. So it's interesting. I'll have to see what happens next year with VidCon. Uh, but it was not as good as the year before without question. Um, thanks everyone who's watching on um, over on uh, LinkedIn. And uh, I'm just going to get into some questions. As I say, if, if you're just joining right now, we're doing an AMA. So an ask me anything. You can ask me any question you like uh, about startup business. We'll start in a second. I'm just letting a few more people join in here. And um, I'm, I'm going to make it probably not the full hour this time because I'm dashing off to London uh, to meet a couple of people. And tonight I meet, I'm having a, a call and recording an interview with Joel Pilger who for his podcast, he's going to be speaking at Atlanta, in Atlanta as well. So I'll share more about that when it comes up 
uh, but yes, lots ahead. Like I say, next week is London for Startup Business Q&A, uh, where I'll be speaking about improving your business through sales. I will be there live also with Chris Hatfield from the Not Another Sales podcast, uh, and also the marvellous Jack Gaysford, who I recently did a video with on LinkedIn, um, and he's, he's produced a couple as well from V21. The guy is a superstar of uh, video online. He's been really kind of picked up and noticed in the city. So we'll be there supporting the Drive Forward Foundation charity uh, for the second year in a row, raised a bunch of money for them last year. Uh, and then on, on Friday, is it Friday? Yes, Friday the 6th um, uh, next week, I will be working with Warwick Consulting, part of Warwick University, uh, but up at the University of Nottingham, talking about, guess what, a bit more LinkedIn workshops as well. They can't get enough. So um, let's hop in right now. I just want to look over on LinkedIn and say hello to everyone. Alakalendra, uh, nice to see you here. Thank you very much for watching. Uh, Gabrielle Leal, uh, good to see you here again. Um, also, Cher Jones, uh, Wendy Golhiller, uh, Kirk Francis, Caroline Mankowski, and so on. So many people jumping in. Thank you for watching. Let's get in there. So first question in the AMA, and you can ask questions, stick it in the comments if you wish. First question comes from Gerline Deal. Shout out to Gerline, who is uh, admin with me in the Entrepreneur Business Group, where you can watch Entrepreneur Business Live on Thursday from Atlanta. And, she, and she's based in Seattle and asks, what are some of your favorite WordPress plugins? She and I both nerd out a lot in the DMs, so I'm not surprised she asked a question like this. Um, I have a team and a group of people who look after the website. Um, so they have many more uh, plugins in there than I actually use um, uh, or even probably aware of. The two that I love, one for obvious reasons is Stripe because it allows me to receive cash through the website. But more seriously, I, I like that, um, uh, uh, that plugin because it makes life very simple in order to seamlessly kind of automate the e-commerce side uh, without too much of a haircut in terms of how much I pay them. The one I really like is Wishlist Member wishlist member uh, and that manages all the memberships for the three courses on my site. So it's, um, uh, monetize you, basics of sales and the basics of LinkedIn. Those three courses are all fully automated and it onboards them. It sends out the welcome email and things like that. And it's very simple to add new members manually should I need to. So it's my favorite one and you get a lot of good insights that way too. As someone who is nerdy but not spending his time with the back end if i need to get under the bonnet and tinker or or help help someone's membership that doesn't happen because it's automatic normally but if i need to then that's my favorite so um that that's the answer to you carolina mankowski who i think is watching on uh linkedin uh, from over in florida has said i've put i'm putting together an online course that's quite a nice segue isn't it and i don't know how to price it are there any tips i need more specific if you need more specifics i can share it no need for specifics entirely, um, but, but it does depend. The reason why it depends is because not every online course is the same in uh, its purpose. I presume all courses are great in that the person who's built them really feels that they are premium in quality, but you need to think about where in your sales process your, um, your, your, your online course actually sits. Mine are very top of funnel, not actual top of funnel, but quite close to it. So it's in, in what's known as a sales ladder, my courses are quite close to the front. A sales ladder 
is a set of products or a suite of products or services that you would sell that have an increased um, level of involvement and price as you go up the steps. The first step of a sales ladder typically is a free product or content. This right here, such a meta answer. This uh, right here, this, this live stream, if you like, is almost part of uh, that sales ladder. It's top of funnel stuff, it's free, quality, I would like to think, free content, something useful for you to consume. But it's things like, a great example, for instance, would be my, where there's some sense of a transaction, not of money, uh, but of an email address. So in my, my case, every Monday, uh, later in the day, so about five, six hours from now, there is a newsletter that goes out. So uh, my weekly newsletter, The Entrepreneur um, Business Bulletin, shares latest content from this world each week, including a digest of my content and you know how to get tickets for events, things like that. And that newsletter, thank you to Mona Nairi for actually building that and researching it, you're amazing, uh, is completely free. You literally, the transaction is you give your email address and that is what you receive. And so that kind of first step of the funnel allows people to say with minimal risk or, or um, giving up of cash or anything, do I dig Richard more? Do I like his stuff? And again, this is why we use things like live streams and that to get people a sense of what it's like to be involved with me. Then the next step up from that is my courses. So the first one is around $100 and that allows people to test me out with high value product at a very low price point. In terms of the value you actually get from that product, those courses are if you actually did what they took, like monetize you, some people who have done that course and they messaged me, they're like, I made $2,000 in the first fortnight by using uh, monetize you. People have made a fortune off that thing because it's about how to leverage knowledge you already have to generate income. I literally explain even the wording of how to close people uh, in online selling of your own services. So like those things are worth a fortune if you, in terms of the value, but, I've put it at such a low price point, so people are like, wow, that really makes a difference. What else has he got? Then there's basics of sales. There's a slightly higher price point, for example, or a phone call with me one-on-one, and when we can you know, we can transact that way, and we can have um, uh, some intense value across an hour. And then it goes deeper, and then as you go up the, the, the value ladder, you have more premium products and so on. So the reason why I'm bringing all this in is because it's important to understand where you want that to sit, Carolina. It may be, and some people have this, that you've made an online course that you're going to give for free as, for want of a far better word, a bait for people or your, your first step of your value ladder. You might be like, do you know what? I have faith in my ability to warm people up and, and excite them through this course so much so that they will want to come to me for more help and therefore buy something else that's maybe of a higher price point. So some people would give a online course, a premium one, for free because it's a way of bringing in a volume of people. Many of them get sold on you through that and then they want more and of course then, because they're sold on you, they love how they vibed on that course, they then go and buy the next thing. And it's, it's, it shows those that buy my courses tend to be the people who then go and buy the other stuff as well. Okay, so that's one way of doing it. Then you can, might hit, have it sat squarely in the middle of your, of your value ladder. You might have some uh, cheaper products and then you have this one and then you have something further back. Then you get people who do a slightly more premium vibe to it and they might sell their course for $1,000. And the truth is, it's about what you're planning to do with it. 
I know some people who have an online course, okay, recorded video and that kind of thing, an online course as their back-end product. That's the thing they are taking you through the other little products towards in order to ultimately buy, because that's where they will make whatever amount per, per person per course. And so that's what you've got to ask yourself. It's not how much, uh, how premium your product is necessarily, it's where in the value ladder you wish it to sit. It's so wrong to say to yourself, do you know what? Everyone, everyone charges $97 for a course, I should do the same. Because it might be that that is something that they're doing because it sits in a certain part of their value ladder. So ask yourself, you know, is it something that actually could sit in the front, excite people and make them think, wow, I would love to then buy the next thing, which is maybe 2x or 2.5x the price of the course to maybe then have, I don't know, a call with you or whatever it might be. So think on that. That's the bit that needs to be answered first, not anything else, really. That's the way I look at it. Um, Next question, but good one. Hope, hope that helps. Tamika Sears has asked, what advice do you give to someone who has an awesome idea, but no idea what to do for step one? Well, I come across this lot a lot. And this, and this is the thing about, the fun thing about working with startups is that there's often so much talent and ambition, but there's a question that mark over, what do you do next? And without question, whatever your great idea is, you have to have some kind of an MVP put together. MVP stands for minimum viable product not the perfected, polished, ultimate, final iteration of your product, something that technically works. So an MVP, I would say, is a great idea to uh, test it, because you may think it's great, because it's your baby, but unless the market suggests that, then A, you don't know if it's great or not, and B, you don't know where to make the changes and iterations. So if you, make, if you have an MVP, something thrown together, you, what you end up with is something that you can build on the ground, whilst getting feedback from, from, the, from the market and you're putting it in front of people to test out and get some feedback. And hey, you, know, you never know, you might end up getting testimonials and I've done, I've done uh, an MVP of a product before where um, I hadn't finished building the whole course. It was an online course and I'd built something like, I'd probably built less than 10% of it and I, had, I was pre-selling it. So I was selling the course at a lower price point to people who were willing to buy it and me add to it as we went along. So, you know, it was not ready or finished, but I was selling, it was like me selling a car that was the wheels, steering wheel, engine and pedals and gear stick and little else. And they pay me a bit less than they normally would. And as they're driving it, I'm putting the windscreen on and, and the roof and stuff. And hey, it's a car to start with. And, and they give me feedback like, yeah, I like this could do with a roof, Richard, so the roof goes on, you know, and so, so I'm working with the market as they're using it, and that's one way to do it. So um, if you have an awesome idea, you don't know if it's an awesome idea unless the, unless the market says it is, really. And so a good job, a good idea is to put the thing together in a bare bones configuration, start getting feedback from people, share that you're building it, get it into hands, basically, get people trying it out, and say, you know, hey, whatever it might be, maybe even try it for free. <coughs> excuse me, maybe even try it for free and um, and give me a testimonial after two weeks or something like that. Okay, so that's one way of doing it. And and um, if you have an awesome idea that is already an MVP, then you know you should be trying to get it in, in front of people and looking at where you might pre-sell it, which means taking some money for some use of it, perhaps, as a bit of a paid trial of sorts. It's a really nice way of getting things started, but that's the focus. It's not building a website. 
It's not, unless the thing is a website. You typically don't need that. I think it's just getting it some basics built together to put so you can put it in front of people and start getting some kind of feedback, okay? And that's not friends and family. It's people who are gonna buy it you know, get some testing going that way. So really good question. Thank you, Tamika. I uh, uh, want to shout out a few people jumping in here. Diana from over in uh, Melbourne is on Facebook. Lee Everett as well, my man, uh, uh, as well as Daniel Nunes is here. Uh, nice to see you. Visual Timmy <coughs> on uh, Instagram. Do you take live questions on stream? Yes, pop a question in the comments. This is an Ask Me Anything on Startup Business, uh, week 187. Uh, Rian over in South Africa has asked, uh, what is the better CRM program to manage up to 100k e-commerce customers? So 100,000 of them. Uh, I this is an interesting one. I think there's a lot of different ones you could use. I've worked with Microsoft Dynamics before. I've also worked with. Um, I think probably the best one, the one I like the most, has been Salesforce because although it is kind of off the shelf, it's very customizable and. Um, uh, the modules and things you can put in are spectacular. I would definitely, if you have that kind of volume, uh, I don't know if you mean 100,000 pounds or dollars or, or, or South African rand, Rian, or if you mean the num the volume. Either way, if, you have, if you're talking about uh, large volume, I do think that Salesforce is certainly my favorite. I found Microsoft Dynamics to be a little bit on the uh, difficult to use side, to be honest, but that, that's def definitely my approach. Uh, Karina Palatinik, Hello to you, Giga Motivation, nice to see you as well. Benjamin Bond, 007, Vanessa Maniel, Manii, uh, very nice to see you too. And uh, Tima El Haj, thanks for all the comments on Instagram. Let's hop over to um, LinkedIn for the next uh, uh, question. Carolina Mankowski, helped a lot, thank you, that's good. Anshul Grover, hey Richard, I'm 17. I just got started with my business, worked with a few people, but struggling to get sales. I sell web design to podcasters would appreciate if you can give me some tips. Thank you. You need, so one thing I've seen people like you do really well is go to a podcaster and remember that podcasters don't need one piece of um, uh, uh, web design and things like that. They need a number of things being done. If you can do design in general, give them a little bit of a taster of something for free. Like, I've done this quick design of this, of like of you, for example, or this is a page you could have and throw that over to them. That's what a lot of people are doing nowadays. And I had a guy uh, the other day, use, was using the website Loom, L-O-O-M.com, and um, he'd actually built a whole landing page for me, which takes the guy no time because he's a web designer. And um, using Loom, he'd, he'd sent me this recording of a video of him on Loom saying, hey, Richard, Here's what I think you could add to your website. I've built it for you. What do you think? You navigated around. It was like five minute video. I can do this with it. I can do this with it. I felt this and this and this made sense. And what he's doing is he's saying, here's what I'm like to work with. He's saying, I paid attention to your website. And he's like, here's the value of already done it. And he's giving me the convenience sell of, if you just pay me, you've got this and it's done. And I've shown you how it works really well. So actually going a bit further than just pitching outright is a good idea because Without a shadow of a doubt, the thing I get pitched the most is web design, uh, websites, and SEO stuff to the point of severe boredom of it. And now if I get an email, which is usually, it's just classed as spam, man. You know, if I just get an email, hey, I do SEO, it's not gonna work. So the initial pitch like that's not a good idea. What I would say is you should get in 
with podcasts as well. Dare to listen to their podcast. This is what I would do because I take the longer route. Listen to their podcast, then send them a message about how their podcast was interesting and what part was interesting. Don't write, hey, your podcast is amazing because all you're going to get is thanks. What you need to write is, I liked how you did this and then ask a question. Sorry, it takes more time, but the reason why you do it is you actually get better interaction. So you ask them an interesting question about the podcast that you've bothered to listen to. And then what you can do is start building a bit of a connection with them. Then you may choose to uh, talk to talk to them about web design if you want. But you don't lead with it because people don't want to be pitched to. And t- in 2020, people are used to being pitched to. And it's boring. And they will literally, they are conditioned, all people now pretty much, are conditioned to be turned off if you pitch them first. So it doesn't matter how good your pitch is. If you pitch someone first, you're turning them off because that's how they're conditioned nowadays. So what you need to do instead is take a little bit of a longer route. That's my advice. Hopefully that helps, uh, Anshul, and good luck with it. Uh, Keith Klizark, closing can be so difficult. It can be difficult unless you've got something that someone really wants or if you spent your time, as I've just described, building a little bit more trust and not focusing directly on the transaction. That really does make a big difference. Shared Jones, AppSumo has a lifetime deal on Wishlist member. That's pretty good advice. Wishlist member, I mentioned a bit earlier, as a WordPress plugin. Thank you for sharing. Anna Calendra, sweet. Looking forward to seeing you. And Jack, are you, you're coming to the London event, then that's excellent news next week. And uh, Shared Jones, oh, wow, I'm going to this social media marketing world next week. Uh, I hope it will be good. I thought about going to VidCon, but could only do one. Uh, I think I chose right based on your review. I don't know if the one over in the States is any good uh, this year, but the one in London was uh, average. You know, it's interesting, you know, I think I I, I challenge all of you to do this at the next event you attend, which is if you go to an event, it's often different and you get to meet new people and it's tempting to go, oh, that was really cool. And what you really might mean is, I had a fun day out. It doesn't mean it was, from a, maybe from a business perspective, it doesn't actually mean it was useful or effective. So be a bit more critical. It may still be a really great event, but like maybe it was a bit boring. Maybe it wasn't very useful. Maybe it was a bit stale. Not everything's great because it's different. Sometimes it's actually a bit average. If you stop for a second and say to yourself, actually, was it any use? Well, you know, if you got out of an office from a job you're not that bothered with, it probably feels like a really great use of your time. But in real terms, it might have been a bit of a boring event. So it'd be interesting to see what your take is, share uh, at Social Media Marketing Weekend, or whatever you'd call it. Uh, I I can't remember which one it is. Um, So good luck with that. Brian Direct, how would you recommend asking for online Google reviews? If you have someone who can't live without you, then you just ask. And... What you do is you ask with no pressure at all. You say, absolutely no pressure. You don't have to do this if you don't want. If if you've enjoyed the the service, would you you mind giving me a review? And here is the link. So put it on a plate. Make sure it's simple for them to click on the link and just do it. You don't want to make it that they have to navigate how to do that. You make it convenient. And what you do, by taking the pressure off, it allows people to say no if they don't want to. And it also means that if you work the volume approach, you'll get a few of them. That's the thing. Just ask is the best thing. Um, But don't do it with everyone. And what I mean by this, and hopefully this doesn't happen, Brian, I'm sure it won't for you, is that if you have 
a client or prospect who's had, no, a client who's had a terrible experience, don't ask them for, well, you, do you know what? You probably should ask them for a testimonial because if you deserve it, you deserve it, right? But the point I'm making is if you think that the experience was probably average and you're going to ask them for a testimonial, well, well you'll get what you deserve. But if, you, if you're good at what you do, you should ask for a testimonial. Um, the argument is actually there that you should ask for a testimonial if you did a bad job because you should be learning from it. So that's, that's my view on it too. But just ask. But ask without pressure. And it means that you might get 20% actually bothered to do it um, and there you go. Over time, with volume, you're winning. That does work. Um, nice to see everyone else jumping in here. Mirav, good to see you. Uh, Michelle Raymond, hope you can make it next week. Can't remember if you can or not. Uh, to the London event. Um, and Visual Timmy, you're asking a lot of questions. I'll get to you a bit later. Later on, no problem at all. Jonathan Featherstone, Richard, I pulled off my first sell and a six-figure one. There's also five figures dearer than my only competitor. Good boy. <laughs> good man. <clears throat> For those of you who are not reading the comments on LinkedIn, I'll continue. Your advice has been paramount in closing that deal. Thank you. No worries, Jonathan. And uh, sorry we couldn't meet in Leicester the other day. Um, uh, but congratulations. Can we all give him a well done? That was excellent. A six-figure deal to Jonathan Featherstone at Featherstone Machinery Limited for your agricultural needs. Well done, man, that's awesome. Let's speak a bit later on and um, I'll collect my commission. There isn't any, don't worry. Uh, which lead me neatly into a question. I think we had one on six-figure deals from, yes, Andrew Helms. Richard Moore, what's different when pitching a high-ticket item such as 100K plus? Um, what's interesting about this is that there's a lot of similarities we should be clear on first. There's a lot of similarities with, with large, high-ticket de value deals, uh, as including and all the way down to the small ones, in the sense of things like right now, right now, you, no matter who you're going to, you always need to be speaking to the right person every single time, always the top person. When you go to uh, um, sell someone or close someone, there has to be trust as well. That doesn't change. Right. So the right person has to be trust qualification and in fact, pre-qualification before you approach the company has to be there as well. Who are you reaching out to? Why them? Why should they change? Why should they change now? OK, all those kind of questions need to be answered. Do they look like they might have the cash? Are they from an intelligently placed demographic that suits what you can do? OK, <clears throat> you can do a lot of the work before you even engage with them. Um, but I do think um, what stands out is, without question, I always do my best to keep deal making simple because simple sounding means it's simple actions from them. If, it, if something is made to sound complex, and the hilarious thing is that people do this all the time with small deal values, maybe a couple of thousand quid, people will make it sound super complex. Then you get committees and more people involved and a huge proposal. And it's like, you're making a couple of thousand for a year's work, something it's absurd. And you know, it doesn't make sense. So when it's a, when it's, all deals need to be kept simple, super simple. The truth being that most buyers don't want all the depth and complexity underneath the bonnet, they just want the magic. So what is it they get? The very top line, the main benefits, and how, you know, what are the next steps? They don't even care how you do it or what it is. They care about the results really um, against what top benefits they're gonna get. So the focus should be on that and keeping it simple, but you can't escape that the bigger it gets, the more scrutiny that does come in uh, when it comes to deal sizing. So 
I do feel that with the larger ones, the ones that have been 100 grand or so, I have definitely had to build a bit more trust. Or maybe a bit better way of putting it is that the, the trust has always been there, but I've needed to build a deeper or stronger relationship with someone. So the ones I've done, if I think back to the very start point of the 100 grand deals, 100 grand plus deals, there's one I've done that's uh, getting on for about 100, it'll be, it'll be yeah, about 150,000 or so uh, recently. It was a really important one that started with a long-term relationship with someone that developed into a good relationship with their inner circle as well and and massively tight communication with them certainly at the start as well so exceedingly focused on over delivering but also being really like not um not someone who's been paid externally to do something that wasn't the vibe at all not even a partner at arm's length feeling like I'm part of their team and an extension of their entire body is really important. And I think spending time sitting down um, and, you, you know, I mean, remember the first six figure deal I ever did a very, very long time ago was it was it was lunch and there was coffees and things like that. And it was building the social bond and just vibing and feeling like we'd clicked. That mattered so much more than what we're actually offering. What we're offering was tremendously simple, um, but I do remember focusing a lot on just making sure I was, you know, not trying to get out the door or, or just get a proposal sent over, but actually spending time getting to know the person because without question, by a light year, the trust and connection thing matters more than anything. So I think that what's different is that there is a greater there's a need to really trust you a lot more because they're going to spend typically a lot more money. And it depends because it might be a very big business, in which case it doesn't matter too much. For instance, on a hundred grand deal, that isn't too much money for some companies. Um, but I do feel that if you, if you spend time with them on more of a human level rather than pitching at them, that kind of extra does make the difference. And the older I get and the more experienced I get, just it confirms it more and more that those who want to work with you are the ones who think you're a good guy and that that's your foundation. That's, it's not that that's different because ideally you have that with a lower ticket product, but sometimes you like, you can't invest that kind of time for, you know, a hundred quid price point or something. So for instance, we talked about earlier about the entry level point of my sales ladders, those $100, um, those hundred dollar uh, um, online courses I sell, there's not me whining and dining and Rolls Roycing the, 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 the people who are buying it as much, but they're still getting a lot of me because typically the people who, people who buy those courses are mapped to the you know, people who have experienced these live streams and enjoy the content. And they are getting a, little, uh, a lot of a sense of what Richard Moore is about, which is massively why, um, if you're if you do video content, you beat those who do text only because you the person who will ultimately buy from you gets a sense of what you're you are really like. You can't convey it nearly as well uh, through text or images because you, you don't get a sense of the person as much. So that human connection and trust is the thing that it isn't different, but there's more of it required. I think there's a little other there's a few other things as well we could say, but that really stands out for me. So really, really good. Um, uh, Javnati Katty, hi Richard, ask without pressure is awesome. Yeah, I think that's referring to uh, the point a bit made earlier about testimonials. I absolutely agree, you do need to. Um, you know, if someone says no, no problem, no problem at all. And it, cause the thing is, because if you pressure them, now you're probably going to get worse testimonials. So you just got to think about it that way around. Um, 
Quentin, thanks so much for jumping in and watching over on um, on uh, LinkedIn. I'm looking forward to seeing Quentin Allens, known as Q, um, from Humans That Game podcast and, of course, Urban Misfit Ventures um, over in Miami on the 16th of April. We'll be over there for a very large Entrepreneur Business Live hosted by Brian Direck. Also with Jackie Hermes, Shay Robottom and uh, Shanae Moret as well. We're focusing on scaling business and growing in 2020. And we've got capacity for 180. So I'm excited about that one. Um, and uh, uh, I think I think Jonathan, you've actually said mimicking my recent sale means probably you've done a lot of uh, whining and dining with this one. So well done. <clears throat> really proud of you. Let's do a couple more questions. Uh, Susie Noyan, my friend, uh, who has been, uh, she and I have been nerding out about her recent visit to CES in Las Vegas uh, and, and the video you should definitely check out. If you check out String Noyan over on uh, YouTube, it's a great video she did because uh, she's working with Lenovo and, <coughs> and their cool new laptops and tech. Um, do you sell sales navigator on LinkedIn and how to use it? I don't anymore. I used to, I don't know if the features have changed that much. I actually now use just premium. That's all I use. And um, one thing I, I think you're saying, how do you use it? One of the things I use the most, which is a trick or tip, if you like, and I'm pretty sure it's, and certainly it's on, on Sales Navigator as well as on premium. I'm not entirely sure if it's on free because I haven't had free forever. But I urge you to try this if you haven't done it, <coughs> is that you can you can leverage a connection you have in a business to find out who their connections are at a business. So, for example, if uh, Susie herself, if she is connected to people in LinkedIn and I want to know who specifically she is connected to in LinkedIn, what I can actually do is uncover that. I can do a search for people in LinkedIn obviously with, against the, the location if I want, who are second connections to me. That, and that will throw up everyone in the whole of LinkedIn who's connected to someone I know in LinkedIn or elsewhere, but that's a huge amount of people. But what I do in premium is I can add who is also connected to, and I can put Susie in. So what I've got there then is me leveraging um, uh, uh, her and saying, I want all second connections and people I'm not connected to in working at LinkedIn who are connected to Susie. Now I get the, do the search and now I get a list and it's like, there's the 58 people that she is directly connected to in LinkedIn and I can do it for anyone I'm connected to. So if I'm connected to, I don't know, if I was connected to Bill Gates, I could, I could, as a terrible example, but if I, if I was, I could see who he is connected to at various different companies by having him as that, as that, as that person against whom the, the second connections must be connected to. It's a really great way of doing search if you know someone and if you see someone's, someone's um, made interesting inroads at a business, you wanna see who they're connected to, you can actually peer inside the address book and see who they're actually connected to. I love it. And that's one of my favorite little uh, hacks in there uh, that I've used to great effect. Not against Susie or anyone, but uh, but that's what I've used in the past. So thanks, that's a good question. Uh, has anyone tried that? Let me know if you have. That's a really good one, in my opinion. <coughs> it's time for, um, uh, let's do uh, one more question, uh, unless anyone wants to add any here. Uh, Daniel Nunes from over in Phoenix has said, what are some key skill sets for successful social entrepreneurs 
to have in order to stand out on LinkedIn. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I think as a social entrepreneur, I think we were talking about people who are leveraging different platforms and LinkedIn. Uh, communication is, is the game. If you can communicate, then you, then you win because then you learn or you know how to speak to different types of people or those who are in your niche. And, you know, it, you, you don't have to deploy it against video. It might be that you are great at, con uh, are at communicating through audio. So do an audiogram or through text. So write copy or write articles. But to not communicate is to suffocate any any chance of you getting uh, your great noise out. I mean, it's important to communicate, not just in your content, but also one on one with people as well, because you get so much from it in the sense that, um, you know, you, you actually can can make use of all those potential connections you've got there. Um, you've asked, though, in order to stand out, we need to go deeper than communication. And the reason this is why I'm a big advocate for things like uh, video, but but certainly any kind of content is because if everyone's starting to talk and if you're in an industry that is not entirely unique and other people do something similar, you have to stand out <clears throat> and people get hung up a lot on being unique. And the truth is you don't have to be different in what you're saying. You don't have to be the guy who approaches, at, approaches something from a completely different angle. That helps. But that's paralyzing for people who can't find that thing to make themselves unique. They're like, what do I do that makes me unique? And I, I know someone well um, uh, who's a personal trainer. And he's like, I remember a while back, he's like on, link, on, on Instagram. How the hell do you become a personal trainer and leverage Instagram? That's what most people do on Instagram. And so I'm just going to sit there in a saturated place. <clears throat> but the answer is it's not in what you're doing that makes you unique. It's just your delivery of it yourself. The very fact that unless you have a twin that's competing against you in the same space, uh, that you are you, means simply the delivery in the way that you deliver is unique in and of itself. So, like, on a Monday, when it gets to one o'clock, I'm always in my home office, which is where I am now on Monday around this time. So, um, I literally turn around in my chair, flick on live and record. That's not particularly compelling. There's a bookshelf and a computer screen behind me. It's not thrilling to look at. I know I'm kind of a good looking guy, right? But apart from that, I'm not unique in that I'm doing it always from a pimp skyscraper or, you know, with wonderful backdrops and things like that. I'm just doing it from the same desk for 187 weeks. And the thing that makes it unique, consistency aside, is that I'm just saying things in my way. And sure, for some, that might be because I'm English. But for most, it's Richard Moore's delivery and the fact he might be opinionated in a certain way of saying things. And there's probably another guy out there who does live stuff and talks business and takes questions or whatever. And he is in his way. And some people who watch him prefer him. And those who watch me, some of them prefer me. And the truth is you don't have to appeal to everyone, as we know. <coughs> you have to appeal to those who like your stuff in the sense that they like the way you deliver it. That's the bit that makes you unique. And therefore, the skill set is actually, I hate the word authentic, but, but it's, you know, it's important. You do have to be authentically you in the sense that you just, 
do it. Like, just be yourself. And the fact is that not everyone will love that, but some will be like, this is great. I love just whatever it is, I just love the way he talks, you know, and I love the way he constructs an answer. And some people are perhaps more simplistic than me. Some people are maybe more concise than me. Some people may be more wordy than me. And for each of the different people doing it in their own way, they get their audience of people who love that particular way of being done. And that's the way it works. And those that tend to follow me and my stuff, sure, they do it for the content, but they also do it for the way in which I deliver it because that works with the way they want to receive that information. So uh, that's a really good question. Thank you, Daniel. And you've added, I've said it before, I appreciate the way you articulate complex ideas in a simple and straightforward manner. Thank you. Well, that, and that may be it. That may be the thing that works for you. For other people, someone last week was like, I love the accent. I'm like, okay, good. Well, there's more to it than that. But you know, if it works for you. So the point is that it might be that you just, you like certain things. It might be that, you know what? I don't have time to do it, to, to watch a live stream on business questions any other time apart from one o'clock on a, on a Monday in the UK because it's my lunch time. So that's what they do instead. Shout out to those of you who are doing that. Uh, good questions. I think I actually had one more here. Max Mirho, my friend over in Pittsburgh. Uh, what tools do you use for your day-to-day -day business? What CRM, expensive tracking, etc.? Um, I'm exceedingly lean, Max. And, and it's interesting that I think you can overdo all the tools because you end up then having too many tools. Um, I have an accountant. It makes life very simple. Uh, uh, having an accountant is one of the best things I've spent money on. Uh, ever. It, that and a cleaner for my house is a big deal, having that too. But an accountant's valuable. QuickBooks feeds straight into them and they know what they're doing. Then life's very easy. But in terms of my day-to-day -day work, Google Drive is, for two reasons, a really great thing. I use it massively because I can do everything on it, you know, from spreadsheets to uh, holding uh, documents and, and videos and content, things like that. So, but, but I can share that with the, with the client. They can have their own folder. We can have that as like our case folder for working together and we can share stuff within it. So that's one reason. But the other reason is safety because Google, touch wood, Google's ability to securely look after stuff on Google Drive is far superior to mine on a laptop or a hard drive or, a, uh, or you know, or on a PC or on my phone. And if you look at how I use Google Drive <coughs> and how I use the, the social platforms, they are the depositories of my video and content. People say things like, wow, you do so much video, Richard, you must have like, have you got like hard drives everywhere storing it? No, I get it off my devices as soon as possible. My laptop has literally nothing in it. The downloads folder is empty. The desktop's empty. The recycling bin's empty. There's nothing on it. I want that thing working super swift, nice and quick. That, that laptop accesses my Google Drive from which I draw down all the information I need. Just need an internet connection. Even if I don't have that, I, I hook up to my mobile. Same on my, on my mobile leveraging, leveraging platforms. Keeping stuff on the cloud or elsewhere is wise, I think. So for example, I have... Um, on, on my phone, if I, if I record a video, it gets put onto Google Drive, so my man Dan Norton and his team will build out the video and post it. Then I delete it from my phone. I don't want it on my phone because it's just clogging it up. If I happen to want that video again to post somewhere else, well, it's on Facebook now, so just download from Facebook. And this is always funny because there's always a few people go, oh, but Richard, the compression. 
the compression, Richard, and the quality's not quite as good. You know, it's like, no one cares. No one cares. It's on mobile. Everyone's watching on mobile. It doesn't need to be 4K. And if you do care, well then go work in a world where you have to have huge amounts of storage. For, but for my world, it's fine. I, if I record in HD, upload and download all day long, um, you know, via Facebook, the compression's there, sure, and the quality's maybe not quite as good. But no one cares unless it's, a, you know, unless I'm shooting National Geographic levels of, uh, of quality video. It just doesn't matter. So um, that's how I keep, uh, as I use those kind of tools to, uh, to kind of keep, keep my content elsewhere and keep my, my devices running slick. And that's not entirely what you ask because you're asking uh, uh, things, tools for day-to-day -day business. But, you know, I don't use Trello. I don't use Calendly. <coughs> and people are like, why don't you do that? It automates, it makes it easy. Because too much moves throughout the day and there's too many different days each week. And I'm not going to sit there and, and orchestrate a new calendar each week. And the rigidity of a set time for a call, for me, doesn't work. I have set times for certain things, but calls doesn't always work because I have too many other projects. So I have fewer calls uh, with people and make sure they're, they're well qualified and those calls I just manually organize through through DMs for example that that's what works for me great question thank you very much really enjoyed it this week make sure you're watching with me live on Thursday uh, at Atlanta's um, first ever entrepreneur business live if you're not in the group to watch the live stream it will be kicking off at 7 p.m. local time the event starts at 6 but we're doing the speakers from seven because of logistics. So from seven o'clock, I believe that Atlanta is EST. So from seven o'clock Eastern time, <coughs> excuse me, in the Entrepreneur Business Group on Facebook, go to facebook.com forward slash groups, forward slash Entrepreneur Business Group, all one, all one word, and join. When you join, you're asked three questions. Write answers to the questions. By default, if you don't answer the questions properly, you don't get in the group. So put some effort in. Okay, so it's simple questions. They're not difficult, but just answer the questions and you get allowed in at seven o'clock on Thursday. And indeed, every single time we have an event, uh, you can watch there live. Or if you're in Atlanta, go along, it's free. And if you choose to donate, then we're supporting Funding Love, who are an amazing, amazing charity who um, uh, work with uh, uh, families involved in adoption, uh, sending them to Disney World. So it's absolutely fantastic. More on that on the event. Thank you in advance to Heather Parody for running it, to Randall Blizzard, Joy McAdams, and uh, Joel Pilger, who I'll be speaking to later on today, about uh, uh, for, for, for speaking as well. And keep your eyes peeled a few hours uh, later on today, probably about five o'clock Eastern time, I will be posting my chat with Judy Fox from last week. So keep your eyes out for that. Uh, Sushi, thank you very much for the little note there. All the way from Singapore, you're coughing a bit, take care. You are precious. I'm off the antibiotics now. I don't have coronavirus, thank goodness. Uh, but yeah, it's been like three and a half weeks of the cough. It is almost gone. I'm, I'm about 20% left to go, I think. But I appreciate it. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you very much for watching. Uh, see you later. Instagram, take care. Facebook, see you soon.